Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm his manager, Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of the Unst.com. And I can't stress this enough. Wear your fucking mask so we might be able to have a live music industry by 2025. I don't know. This shit is definitely what the Blade Runner and Back to the Future and RoboCop movies all got wrong. There was definitely some post-apocalyptic punk band with rad haircuts playing inscrutable instruments, but... We don't even get that. True heads will know that not only is Sam Eckstein, a.k.a. Essex, Bill's guest today, a Brooklyn-based producer and visual artist, but the two of them made a whole-ass EP together for Ganja White Knight's label. You can pause this intro now, go listen to Dead Language from Subcarbon Records, and then press play. Go ahead. Oh, wait. That was totally sick, right? We've been adding a ton of Patreon subscribers over the past couple of weeks, which is awesome. We're dreaming up some fun stuff for that crew, and everyone's been super supportive, which is great. Let me remind you that subscribers at any level will receive early access to episodes, and then the perks just keep getting better from there. Head over to patreon.com slash Tunes to show this podcast some love. It helps us keep these episodes coming. As always, go to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up as a hardcore Ableteneer. You'll get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, so you can really tinker around in his brain and figure out how he sounds the way he sounds. Okay, now we get to listen in on a conversation with Essex. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Fuck yeah, man. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the well, thanks for doing the podcasting. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh yeah, it's good to good to hear from you. And it's yeah, this is one of the cool things about doing a podcast. It's just sick to chat to people that I want to chat to. Yeah, man. I've been listening to the podcast uh here and there. It's been fun. I love I I've been listening to podcasts forever, mostly comedy podcasts, but I've always wanted to be on one. It seems yeah. like fun. Yeah, it's cool. I mean it's it's I think what's cool about it is that you kind of like both uh, agree just by proxy of going on the podcast to like engage in a conversation with each other for like an hour or whatever. And it's and I think partially the reason why when you sit there as a human listening to one being in awe of it is because you're like, oh, what what is going on here? An actual conversation? Because <laughs> I mean, we don't, <laughs> yeah, it's very rare that you like will sit down with somebody and have like a very engaged one hour conversation without like going on your phone or some shit, right? Yeah, it's like that. Uh, I think people do kind of. It's it's also just like nice to have like a conversation that you don't have to engage with yourself. You kind of just listen and like you can mm. tune in and out at your at your leisure. Yeah, I've heard people bring that up as like a con of a podcast too. Like for instance, um, Bleep Bloop was telling me he hates podcasts because he feels like he's in a room with people that won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess some people like conversation more than others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the comedy ones too. Um, which which ones do you listen to mostly? 
I, it switches a lot. Like, I guess I started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast a long time ago, and I just got kind of repetitive. So I started listening to, like, Your Mom's House with Tom Segura. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like listening to, like, middle schoolers, like, bully each other. It's, like, <laughs> the most offensive thing I've ever heard, but it's also sometimes it's pretty funny. <laughs> Dude, middle school shit is the funniest stuff. <clears throat> Dylan Ilgates was telling me he was walking past some kids one day. And he heard one of them be like, oh, I like went to the doctor and got my braces out. And then the other kid was just like, nice. Now you could fit more dicks in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what that podcast is. And I think it's just like, I don't know what it is. I think it's so refreshing to hear people like talk, like just be complete assholes and like not even <laughs> worry about like any just like any kind of like. Whether they're being offense, yeah, they like don't give a fuck. They're just like the whole point of the show is just them being so dumb and like. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's fine to enjoy fucked up humor. Like, for instance, there's this one video that I've been I've sent it to so many people because I think it's just the funniest shit I've ever seen in my opinion. I actually even sent it into your mum's house because I just think it, it's that funny. It's basically this kid called Demetrius who's like doing a marathon stream on Twitch or whatever. Uh, but you, you don't see his webcam or whatever. You just sort of hear him. And he's just sort of walking around the, the game Mafia 3 or whatever. Uh-huh. And his mum comes in really pissed off. And she's like, Demetrius, go to the bathroom. You're shitting your pants. <laughs> and, and he's just like, no, yeah, what the hell? Like, just all calm, like, no. <laughs> and his mom's like, go to the bathroom and take a shit. And he's just like, no, yeah, what the hell? Get out. <laughs> it's just, it's the funniest shit. I feel like your mom's house, I feel like your mom's house would run that one. Oh, dude, they, it's so funny. So, there must be um, so much material. Yeah, but I guess, oh, for sure. They would, they'd be, dude, their fucking email must just be full of the best shit. But anyway, um, I sent it to someone a few days ago and they fucking blocked me on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> and it was like an old friend too. Like not not like someone I just like started talking to or just met or anything. It was like somebody I've known since like 2013 or something. That's so weird. I can't imagine like it's like it's not like that video. Like how how can you be offended by something that just happens in life and you just see it and you're like how dare this happen? Like, <laughs> Right. How dare this person, like, bring up that this happened in front of me? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I don't know. I think it's just like, I, I just like laughing at really fucked up shit. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, that's the stuff that just gets me every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of, um, I think part of it is also maybe because it's sort of taboo these days, right, to talk about shit like that. I mean, that's why I think I've always found the word like cunt hilarious to use in America because everyone here finds it as so taboo. When I'm in Australia, I barely even use it. And then it's like, yeah, I mean, like, I I mean, you know, I I think you knew this, but yeah, I went to middle school in Australia Mm. and I heard that word all the, all the time. I didn't really (laughs) use it myself because it doesn't sound good coming from an American accent. No, that's the thing is Americans just like don't really know how to use it. And when they use it, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's yeah. Don't do that. Like that's, (laughs) yeah. Um, it just sounds gross coming from us. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's just like the context, right? Because like in Australia, we're just so fluent with it. We're like, oh, yeah, that guy's a sick cunt or like, oh, what a hard cunt or like, oh, that's, you know, what a fucking shit cunt or like whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Americans, they're just like, oh, hey, you cunt. 
And it's just like, <laughs> no, dude. Yeah, it's, it just sounds so gross. It's such like a, it's one of those like, yeah, phonetically, it just sounds fucking nasty. I think it might be the extra T on the end that Americans have, the cunt. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the very enunciated T. Yeah. Whereas, um, yeah, I feel like Australians are kind of like, I, I like the way Americans pronounce the word car. It's like you actually pronounce the R in the word, whereas Australians, it's just like car or bar. Like we just don't even, we just forget about the end bit. Yeah, it was, it was weird actually when I lived in Australia for a long time. I was like, I didn't even realize it was happening. But like when I left the Australian school and went back to an American school, I basically had like started softening my R's without realizing it. And all the kids at the American school were like, thought I was Australian. They thought I had an Australian <laughs> accent, but the Australian people thought I had an American accent. Right. And I had this like weird, like this weird, like Cronenberg, like language, like this weird, <laughs> like uh mashed up between like an Australian and American accent that I didn't even realize I had developed. Cause I was just, I guess it was like, I was a, at a young age, you know, yeah. it was still like a developmental stage of my life. So my voice was like, I was like, still figuring out how to talk like an adult, I guess. You know, you yeah. go through puberty and you're like, your voice is like lowering and I, my voice is like lowering in an Australian way <laughs> instead of an American way. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it just starts in high pitch in American, just goes down and then you're like, good I mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, I, um, I, I watched, a, so I recorded a, my first tutorial in like a year the other day and put it on youtube and it actually went fucking nuts it got like a hundred thousand views in a week which is crazy was that the uh was it the stem one you, yeah. that you sent me yeah the I, I, yeah i watched i watched that one that's pretty interesting stuff it kind of seems like a useful thing for like instrumental stuff but it also like i feel like whenever i, I feel like a lot of times when people uh extract stems from like a recorded song there's all these weird like phasing sounds and like i don't know it's there's there's like a weird there's weird artifacts to it that i'm like mm. not sure if i like or not yeah well the the point of me telling you that was because um i like heard my voice in i, I just checked some of my earlier tutorials and i was like holy shit i sounded so much more australian in earlier tutorials and it's funny like a few of my friends from australia watched that tutorial as well and were like oh yeah um you sound like way more American now, but in America, yeah, Bill's gone west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, to go back to your point about <clears throat> why stems can sound fucked up in splitter, um, it's kind of complicated to explain. But basically, uh, there's like I mentioned this in the video. Basically, what's happening is a shitload of like really intense filtering, right? So um, yeah, and a lot of people in the comments were like reductive of that point they were just like oh no it's machine learning i'm like yeah i understand how it gets to the filtering but in the end it's filtering that's all it is it's really 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 intense insane filtering and the way it does it is um and i can't really explain this either is through fft processing and that fft is uh there's a really good video on youtube by three blue one brown that explains fft really well but basically it extrapolates like <clears throat> the, the way a filter works is if you want to remove say three decibels of 100 hertz it takes three decibels of 100 hertz creates a split of it sends it back into the eq and puts it out of phase with itself by three decibels right and like you know how phase works like if you put two things right in ableton and you put one out of phase it goes silent right so if you put yeah if you just put 3db of that one frequency range in then only three decibels of that one frequency range goes silent yeah it's so weird it's kind of like how like like uh, sound canceling headphones, well, like it's so weird <laughs> yeah. that it, like plays a tone into your ear that like cancels out all the other sounds. It's like, 
It's really like I I saw some article on like how Bose basically records like all like they have like recordings of all these different potential surrounding atmospheric like they basically just record at like every type of atmosphere and then the headphones like have like a speaker in them that like learns to recognize what like a comparable app like what atmosphere you're in mm. and like a comparable and like and basically just like plays the canceling uh signal from like whatever like in their database oh well that, of all- that's a different thing that's impulse responses but um, going back to what I said about the the EQ and the, the phase stuff, you said like all the stuff coming out of Splitter sounds like phasey, right? But that's exactly yeah, that's yeah. exactly why, because of how intense the filtering is that's happening and how a filter works. It's just incurring these massive phase issues. But to, to talk about headphones, if you want to talk about that, that's um the way that works is through impulse responses. Usually, like if you're trying, are you talking about like headphone correction? Or like I I, I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, man. I'm, <laughs> I just like saw something about how Bose like. Got their uh, got the uh, sound cancellation on their headphones to work because there was like I guess I guess there was like an issue with some of them where people would be listening to the headphones and they would all of a sudden get this like really loud tone just blasted into their ears oh, and it shit. was like it was like a um, it was I guess like the AI or whatever I don't know if it's AI or whatever it is the the technology like of sending the of canceling out the frequency because like a lot of times you know they'll like cancel like sound cancellation headphones will play a sound in order to cancel out, like, for example, the, like, hum of a plane or whatever, whatever atmosphere you're in. And I guess there was, like, there was, like, an issue with it where it was just, like, accidentally just blasting these tones into people's ears for, like, a short burst or something. And I was like, that's so, I just thought it was so weird how, like, in order to cancel sound, they just play more sound into your ears. Like, it's not even... No, for sure. It's crazy. Well, they don't play more sound into your ears. They do a bit of processing on more sound and then less sound comes into your ears. But um, the way it works, like, and I don't know for sure how it works with the um, with the Bose headphones, but I know for sure how it works with the AirPods. And that is that they have a little microphone on the outside of the AirPod that's constantly recording in real time. And it has a very low delay and low latency. And basically when, <clears throat> um, when sound comes into it, it just instantly gets phase inverted uh with a copy of itself so none of it comes into your ear i guess yeah that's so fucking wild <laughs> it's like that's fucking crazy yeah how it's good intense. how good some of our technology is Dude. and how considering how bad some of our other shit is yeah man so speaking of insane technology um so my my girlfriend's other boyfriend works at apple and he told me that um they have to put a governor on the speakers in the iPhones that allows them to only go to a certain volume because apparently they can get so loud and like the, the little speaker in the iPhone is so good that it can, if they don't put this like limiter on it, it can just get so loud that it vibrates so much. It just starts melting components in the phone. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I believe that that was the piece of information he told me. It was something along those lines, but I don't want to like say it and then someone be like, that's not true at all. But I, he, he told me something along those lines. And that's also how I know, know about the AirPod thing. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, yeah, I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. I'm a, <laughs> I like have such like a peripheral understanding of technology. I'm just like, like even like Ableton, like whenever I talk to you about Ableton, you like explain something. I'll be like, oh, damn. OK, like I don't know what half of that shit means. I'm just I'm, I'm such like a. I just like learn what I need to know to do what I want to do. And then I'm like, I like rarely look 
deeper than that, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think you can hear that in your music a little bit. It's like, and I think in, in the opposite way, you can kind of hear that in my music too. It's almost like sometimes I suck a bit of life out of my music and it gets too sterile because I kind of like do too much to it. Whereas like your stuff is just like all vibe and fucking beats and whatnot, you know? And I think that that's kind of sick. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've put a lot of time into like trying to obviously like improve. I think like at least in the last two or three years, I've like put a lot more time into like trying to really hone in on like sound design more because I used to just write music like almost like punk punk rock type attitude where I was just like, I don't like whatever is if it sounds good, it sounds good. And I wouldn't really worry about like, you know, mix like referencing other tracks and like mixing to make my drums be as loud as everyone else's and stuff. It wasn't really until I started like actually using CDJs and DJing like other people's music in my sets that I started being like, oh shit, I better like actually kind of like pay attention to the, to like where this shit fits in and like how to kind of, I guess, not like fit in, but as much as it is just like have it not like completely drop three decibels when I drop one of my own songs compared to someone else's or something, you know? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone kind of feels that way about their own music though, right? Like I was chatting to Joshua about this once and he was like, oh, I always have this problem where my music is like, you know, way quieter than everyone else's. And then he was like, and you probably have the opposite problem, right? Where your stuff is like louder than everyone else's. And I was like, no, I, I still feel like I have the same problem where like my shit feels quieter when I play it. And I think it's just like, it's almost like this psychoacoustic self-deprecating effect that like even if it meters louder, like, and I know for a fact that my shit like meters a little bit louder or whatever on a, on like pro L or a luffs meter of some sort or whatever it's still to me for some reason sounds quieter when i play it in a set yeah i think like yeah everyone has that like crippling self-doubt at some point <laughs> when they're like at least like I, every producer i know goes through a point where they're like go through that self-doubt where they're like oh yeah no it sucks i think if you don't go through that then you're probably not like questioning yourself enough or like worrying enough about the quality of your music you have to kind of doubt yourself in order to make art it's like that that uh venn diagram have you seen that like meme it's like a venn diagram and it's like one side is like self-doubt and the other side is like complete narcissism and in the center it says like art or like <laughs> yeah uh yeah yeah uh, that's that's true right because like pretty often in the studio i notice myself going between these two fucking huge extreme mindsets one is like i'm the shit and the other one is i'm shit <laughs> Yeah, basically. I think that's like, yeah, that's all creation of art. Because, like, in order to even make something or, like, you know, to have the audacity to be like, this is, you know, I have something to provide that people are going to want takes a level, certain level of, like, narcissism and a certain level of, like, I'm the shit. But then also, you know, it's impossible to go through that without doubting yourself as well. So it's mm. kind of like a double-edged sword. Yeah, I think it's like you feel it in. I, uh, uh, you feel. I was gonna say you feel it in rappers' music a lot, right? Like when you listen to so like Kendrick Lamar or like Future or Anderson Pack or something. It's like you can really feel that I'm the shitness like reeking out of it. Yeah, and I think that, but that's like what makes it like an attractive thing. Like, like when you listen to that music, it like feel it gives you that kind of like empowerment. But at the same time, it's like I don't. I it's like I I could never do that myself because I feel, I don't know. I think at least for me, like I like, I guess maybe also just part of my personality. I'm like very self-deprecating. So like I, I can never be like, yeah, I'm the shit in any of like any creative thing I do. Even like my visual art, I'm still like, I like it to have like a little bit of like a sense of humor about itself or like not take it. I don't like any, I like art that doesn't take itself too seriously, you know? Mm. 
Yeah, there's also some sort of like safety net in that mindset, right? Because like, you're like, if I don't try too hard and I don't like, you know, then I can't be wrong and then I can't be like, feel too bad about it sort of thing. Yeah, but I, I, you know, like also, I think that's just also like coming from a visual art place. Like I've always found like the stuff that appeals to me is like kind of like, at least in art school, I was, I was always like very kind of, I would get like down on myself if I couldn't like, you know, someone in my class was doing like some photorealistic drawing and I'm like, I can't do that. And it, and then I started to realize that like the art that I actually enjoyed looking at wasn't even like that stuff. Like I like looking at stuff that's kind of like cartoony and like goofy and like so, like you know like stuff like Pendleton Ward who does Adventure Time and like Jeremy Fish is like an artist that I really like and Jeff Soto and like a bunch of people who are like more in this illustration scene. Uh, who it's kind of like it's not like technically like super crazy and impressive. But, like, when you look at it, it makes you feel good and, like, it kind of makes you smile. And, like, that's I feel like the same thing with, like, music. It's, like, a lot of stuff where it's, like, impressive. A lot of a lot of music that impresses me when I hear it is not necessarily the music that I like to listen to. Like, I think I like to listen to stuff that a lot of, a lot of my favorite songs that, like, when I put on make me feel good. You know, I, I listen to music to, like, you know get a, like, have a feeling or, like, to, to, you know, set a vibe. And, like, a lot of times that the music that does that is not the music that makes me go, oh, shit, like, I wish I could do that. A lot of times the music that it's so, it's, like, so simple that it makes me go, oh, man, I wish I thought of that. Mm. You know, it's, like, a simple, I think simple and effective ideas are way more impressive than, like, super overthought, like, really, you know, overly technical things. Right. But I mean, uh, I, I agree. Um, like the stuff that you listen to where you're like, fucking, of course, this song exists like that. That is definitely the coolest shit. But also, I think it's really, really cool and impressive when somebody can do that and impress somebody who's like on the lowest common denominator side of the spectrum. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean like dumb. I just mean like they don't maybe know a whole lot about music, but they can enjoy it. And then somebody on the complete other end of the spectrum who like knows everything about fucking Ableton and who knows everything about like, you know, maybe music theory and sound design and all that shit. And they are still impressed as well. Right. Like if you can impress both of those categories, I think you really nailed it. Yeah. Well, I think it all, it's also, yeah, it comes down to that idea of like in art, it's really like the idea that matters more so than the execution, like a great, a really smart, it's like the whole like working smart instead of hard. Like when someone can pull off, you know, making a song that's success, like a, the success, I think a song is successful when it makes someone feel something or like, you know, if it's like unanimous that everyone who listens to it is like, oh yeah, it made me feel good. So they keep listening to it. Like it doesn't have to be super impressive or like technical. A lot of times, like those are the songs that reach the most people because like, I think a lot of people connect more with things that they can wrap their head around more right. so than something that something that's like hard to wrap your head around. It's like oh, wow, how do they do that? And that's basically the novelty of it. And then, you know, it, the connection to the art ends there. Right, right. But I don't always, and I, I think, um, I don't always think art inherently has that associated with it, though, you know, because it's, it's possible for me personally to feel good from a piece of art just because I've heard it enough times before. Um, like if I, I can't think of it, you know, maybe like um, the song, uh, I think, what is it called? Bumblebee by the Black Eyed Peas. Is that the one that I'm a bee? I'm a bee. 
You know, <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't know that one. Okay, and I'm a and I'm a I'm a pea head. I I'm, I love the Black Eyed Peas. But I'm surprised <laughs> I don't know that song. Fuck, what's it called? Uh, I'm not gonna Google. I think it's just called Bumblebee or something. Anyway, um, the first time I heard it, I was like, this is the dumbest fucking song, and I hated it. <laughs> and then I heard it like just twenty or thirty more times, just everywhere, because it was like a huge song at the time in Australia. And then I just eventually liked it. And now when I hear it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, this song's sick. And I just like it because I've heard it so many times. But so so that kind of tells me that the song itself doesn't inherently have what I enjoy about it. It's the familiarity from hearing the song is what I enjoy about it, you know, because it makes. I think a good example is like, uh, remember that? Remember Lil Wayne's beat, Amelie? It's literally just like an 808 and a guy saying Amelie over and over again. <laughs> and it's like it was like the hottest beat ever for like years like unanimously everyone was like yeah this shit is so fire and like it's the most simple beat i've ever heard in my entire life but it's like the best beat too <laughs> like it still bangs to this day mm. yeah yeah i mean yeah i guess my point is not that simple is not good or whatever or, or anything like that i just think that like a music I, I think pieces of music don't inherently have anything attached to them right until like it hits a listener and then the listener applies attachment to it or whatever yeah, well, it's like it's the way it's received. It's like it's less so about you know what we went into it, and more so like I think a, a lot of times with my own music, it's like the songs that have hit have been something that I spent like the least amount of time and effort in, on, and like it's kind of like disappointing in a way, but it's also a little it's kind of like freeing in a way too to be like oh, it's like you don't really need to stress and fret so much about like these things that. 90% of the listeners don't even notice. Like, I ha I've, like so a lot of times when I talk to other producers, they're, like, freaking out about, you know, a kick not coming through the mix hard enough or something. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those things that, like, when done right, like, it really, like, makes a big difference. But at the same time, that's not, that's not what most people are paying attention to. That's one of those things that's, like a subtle behind the curtain kind of thing that like yeah it's like as only other producers yeah, will pay as, attention as, to as long as there's like some sort of phantom image of a kick there people will feel it sort of thing right yeah it's like that's not really that's not the thing that people are connecting with so much as the idea itself of the song like yeah. like some of my favorite songs like some of the songs that were like you know shaped the way that I write my own music now like I'll go back and listen to them songs from like years ago and they're mixed like shit and I'm like wow I can't believe like something that like I wouldn't I wouldn't like put out myself had such a massive impact on my whole like on my taste in music right oh for sure yeah um yeah I mean I think going back to what you said about like things that you spent the less time least time on hitting the hardest um it's almost like the like you spend sort of I don't know 20 minutes on an idea or an hour on an idea and you've got like a pretty solid beat there and then it's almost like any other work that you do to it is sort of just like uh like veiling like putting that idea behind like extra veils and layers of just like bullshit kind of that don't necessarily need to be there for someone to enjoy the piece of music and i was watching this tutorial last night by boris brescher <clears throat> and he was saying the kind of the same thing he was like i literally spend like an hour on a whole techno tune and then and he's like probably my favorite techno artist too and i always think his shit sounds so polished and clean and sick but i also think it has this sort of raw cool sick vibe to it and um, yeah, he basically was like, I don't fuck around with it too much. He's like, once you have a good idea, I don't think you need to fuck around with it too much. Like if, if you're feeling it and, it's, and it feels good to you in the moment, he's like, don't overthink it too much and just like, you know, 
go with it and he, he basically finishes a new piece of music every week he says he just does that on a tuesday like just ideas and shit and then on a uh, wednesday he does arrangement and then thursday he does um mix down and finishes mastering it and stuff like that and then he uh plays it on the weekend because he just like tours every weekend yeah i think like sometimes you can even like ruin it by if you overthink it you like you know the initial thing that made you start working on that idea was like you in order to even like move forward with an idea when you start it you have there has to be something there that makes you go like oh sick yeah this is worth you know putting my time into but like sometimes you focus so hard on it that you kind of lose sight of the original thing that made you feel that it was worth continuing to work on it. Like you'll like, you know, change the kick so it hits harder. And then all of a sudden that doesn't fit with the original line you had. So you change the line and all of a sudden the original magic that was there mm. is gone. Right, right. And you're just working on some like thing that you've overthought to the point that it's not even worth continuing. Yeah, you can almost liken this to the abstraction of language, right? Because I mean, obviously what you're trying to convey through music is emotion. And what you're trying to convey through language a lot of the time is a feeling or an idea or an emotion as well. So it's kind of like if I were to say to you, like, you're a cunt, it's like that's a very simple, concise line that conveys an emotion and explains a thing, right? But if I were to then go all like Shakespearean about it and be like, you, sir, I would like to bring you into my room to have a conversation with you and tell you, you know, like all these things. And then you just be very verbose and like use all these elaborate words. It almost like wouldn't be as powerful as just a you're a cunt, you know? Yeah, it's like convol it's Yeah, it's convoluting the point. Like yeah, you're not. Exactly. That's, I think that's like, yeah, music is like a language. And I think like sometimes it's crazy to me how sometimes like I feel like uh, melody is like a whole part of that. It's like, it's like a whole, it's, it's like one of the most important parts of music, in my opinion. Like it's like what conveys emotion a lot of the time. And I feel like that's completely like almost like melody is almost like a faux pas nowadays like no one uses melodies anymore yeah but lack it's of so weird. like lack of melody also has its own thing right because it, it's almost like when you use say more than two notes like let's just say a semitone apart it almost starts to sound like anything but dark almost yeah i think like i love atonal music and i think that like the the best way to use like atonal stuff is to like i think i think that what makes atonal stuff so great is the way it interacts with a melody, you know, like when a melody becomes atonal, all of a sudden like goes into something atonal or something like that. Like, I think there needs to be that contrast. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had Matt Zoe on the podcast a few days ago and he was talking a lot about contrast as well. And he, he, um, he likens music to art a lot, uh, like classical art, I guess, cause I suppose he studies classical art a fair bit. And, um, yeah, he was, he was talking about a lot of this stuff, like contrast in music is the biggest thing and and he was actually saying and this is something that a lot of producers including myself sort of have this idea that all your low frequencies below like 130 hertz have to be mono and then everything above that can be wide right um yeah he was saying he thinks it's like interesting and, he, and he's he's heard it nailed a few times where pe people do the opposite they have stereo subs and like a completely mono top end and shit like that yeah i think there's like so many like there's so many like rules about producing where it's like I'm like totally guilty of it, but like where it's just like you're told not to do something, so you just never even like think to try going against that. Like the the whole like mono below like a hundred hertz, for example, is like I still like I I never really stray from that, even though like I've seen examples of it being successful. I just like I don't know. 
at a certain time, at a certain point, I think you just like fall into patterns right. when you're working where you're like, like I, I even have like a, t- like on my template, like for bases, like I have like a split rack where it likes, you know, basically like every base that I have, I'll like throw this rack on that automatically just monos below a hundred Hertz. Mm. So I could just throw a bunch of crazy shit on the mid range. Right. But like, you could also just do that with utility, right? And just hit the base mono button. As of yeah, as of the t- the ten suites update, the new utility allows you to do the base mono. Yeah, yeah. But I I, st- I still I don't know I still split it because sometimes I like to affect the low end in a different way too. I just, it just gives you more freedom, I think, and like more op- more chances to have happy accidents. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you have good taste and you have a decent monitoring setup and you've written enough music to have somewhat of a uh, poetic license to just try whatever and do whatever you can just try whatever and do whatever and get away with it. And a good example of that is Tipper. Um, in Broken Soul Jamboree, he didn't really, as far as I know, mono any subs or anything like that. And he didn't even use side chaining. He didn't actually start using side chaining until the album Forward Escape, which is insane to me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, sometimes there have been times in the past where I've thrown side chaining on because I'm, that's, you know, the thing to do. And I'm, you know, everyone's like, oh, your drums aren't going to hit if you don't do that. But then, like, I've thrown side chaining on certain things and I'm like, I don't like the way it sounds as much. Because I guess, like, sometimes just the way, like, a hi-hat, you know, you don't want it to duck out when the snare hits because the way it interacts with the snare sounds really good, mm. you know? So sometimes you have to be, like, selective about the things that you choose to side chain. It's funny, though, right? Because the amateur mindset is like, well, I don't like it as much with the side chaining, but I got to do it. <laughs> and it's almost, yeah, like, exactly. it's almost like the more mature mindset, which takes you a long time to get to, it seems like, is like, oh, I liked it better before. So, like, fuck this thing, right? And I still get asked these, like, really arbitrary questions all the time through email and stuff where people are like, should I always have like my master hitting at negative six or something like that and it's like dude literally who gives a shit like if it sounds good (laughs) who cares yeah exactly but that's the thing is like i think there's like it's almost like people expect that like if you know if their kicks are like two decibels too quiet and they go to play a show everyone in the crowd is going to be like what the fuck is this (laughs) boo like this kick's too quiet (laughs) like (laughs) no one thinks that way yeah no one's no one's gonna like judge you off of like these minor like nitpicky like you know just complete it's like completely overanalyzing your own music i think is like can kill it in a certain way totally i feel the thing that solves that for me the best is if i just sit on the piece of music for a long ass time like six months or a year and don't really listen to it that much and then when i come back to it i go like oh yeah like it's way easier for me to objectively see what that piece of music is and like what the main focus points of it are and just build everything around that and just like not worry too much about the stuff that I think is already good and enjoy, but just like, you know, and also if I've been listening to it on and off for like a year, there'll just be certain things about it that piss me off that I know I for sure want to get rid of and stuff like that. I think that's what makes writing music quickly for me these days the hardest is that I just don't trust my sort of like ear or emotional snapshot over a period of like a day or two i I only trust the like yearly snapshot now sort of thing yeah well it's crazy how like sometimes you'll like write a song and you'll think it's the best thing you ever did but then you take some space from it like six months or so and you'll go back and listen to all the music you made and like the one you thought was the best a lot of times is just like you know when you have a little separation from it you realize that it's like actually like just because you put all that time into it doesn't mean it's the better song than all the other ones that you worked on you know Right. Yeah. It's easy to apply um, value to effort invested. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's it's funny because like it's almost impossible not to not to view it that way, even when you are full aware that like no one gives a fuck. Like most people are just like I think like a good thing for me over all these years, like I write music at home and, you know, I live with my girlfriend, Hannah, and she doesn't have any like, you know, she's not into production at all. She like she's pretty much into like other kinds of music, too, you know, and it's like to her, it's like it's useful to have like the perspective of a person who's not like in the scene and like, you know, to have like a really like truly uninvested like listener be like oh you know this makes me feel good or it doesn't make me feel good there's like one or the other that's that's how people most people listen to music you know they're they're not like analyzing most of this stuff they just think about how what what mindset it puts them into or like how it makes them feel without like you know this like undescribable thing like right yeah you I'm can't the, really like i'm the same with visual stuff right like um I just started getting into Blender, but like before that in like 2016, I was touring around with a visual show, right? And there'd be just like parts in the visual show where I was just like, why do you guys do this? Like, it just looks bad. And it's just like fucking, I don't know. It just doesn't look right to me. It looks weird. And they're like, yeah, but it's like, you know, mesh mapped and like there's this weird filter thing on it and it's being controlled with a fucking EQ controllery thing. So every time you hit your thing, it like flashes over here and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but it just looks like messy and shitty. Yeah. Well, it's like, I think it, it all comes kind of comes back to like what I was saying about like when I was in art school, it was like I was trying to like kind of like reach beyond my technical abilities. And, you know, it just led to me making a bunch of art that sucked. And then like, I think it wasn't until I even graduated college and I was doing art for myself and not like projects. You know, I was just doing what I wanted to do. Which, and I was like, you know, I was at home and I was just like, what do you want to work on? You can work on whatever you want. You know, at least when I wasn't at actual work, you know, I would go home and I'd be like, all right, I should work on some art. And I'd be like, what do you want to work on? And, you know, a lot of times you're just like, I guess I have to like, you know, it, it can be it can feel like a chore if you're like, oh, I got to make something sick and I got to do something that's but like. I think I had this realization where I was like, what are you like looking at? And I was like cartoons and shit. You know, I liked looking at goofy cartoons and dumb shit like that. So I like started drawing that. And that's kind of like how I found what I like to do now. You know, it's just like whatever is fun. If you just do that, like what's the point of making art if you're not having fun doing it? Like you might as well get into fucking accounting job or something. Right. But isn't like, uh, so I don't know if I sort of um, <clears throat> necessarily look at, both things the same like what i enjoy listening to and looking at versus what i like making and doing you know so for instance i think um i really enjoy writing idm because i just enjoy clicking around in ableton a lot and it's i don't know to me i just find making that style of music like using just every function of ableton very cathartic and, and fun and nice and it's just yeah but that's you know you're having fun though that's the, that's the thing is like if you're right. if you have fun doing that then that's that's what's fun for you. And, you know, that's what you should be doing. Like, it's not really, there's no, like, that's the thing about art. You know, there's no, like, right or wrong way to do it. It's really, it's the time you spend more so than what comes out of it. Yeah, for sure. I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I guess I didn't necessarily get to that by being, like, I like listening to IDM, so therefore I'm going to try making it and that will be fun. Because I, I think if it was um, the case that I wanted to, like, make a, exactly like for instance a good example is i really love listening to like skrillex right or something like that like it just it makes me feel good it sounds good i think it's technically a really like it's a really big technical feat every time you listen to a skrillex song you're like wow how did he make all those sounds work together and stuff like that but um i like making stuff like that i just find to be fucking stressful 
Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, it was kind of like, I think when we were working on that, uh, on the collab EP, it was like, we were talking a lot about like being like, let's just make a fucking like EDM banger. That's just like one note. And it was like, not even like, I don't know. I felt like there was a level sometimes like when you go into a project and you're like, I'm going to do this. It never ends up that way, and it's always just a disappointment. But like when you just go into it with a clear head, and you just let what happens happen, you know, just like if you go in with if you go in with no expectations and just start something, a lot of times that ends up being the better track, you know. Yeah, it's almost like you end up at the uh, the other side of it with at least something that was some form of like honest, fun representation of the way you felt whilst making it. Versus if you're just trying to sort of replicate something it almost just ends up as like a cheaper replication of whatever the fuck you're trying to make. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think it's like, uh, I always love this fucking, I think it's, I think it was Chuck Close or something. I can't remember who said it, but they said that like, inspirations for amateurs and the rest of us just show up for work. And it's like, it means just, you know, if you want to like make real art, you have to just show up and do it with like, you know, just do what you feel in that moment and not like, be like sit around wait, waiting to be inspired or have an idea, you know? Like the real ideas come from the process. Oh, totally. I, I always actually, um, yeah, people say that to me a lot because I have like pretty high output and write a lot of music. And a lot of people ask me like how, how I get all of that done. And yeah, the answer is literally that. It's, it, I just don't stop writing music. Like I just write music every day. And even if I don't feel like writing music, I figure out something exterior to writing music that I can do to better facilitate me writing music in the future right like if i don't feel like writing music then i at least show up and like organize my samples or like make some racks or do sound design or even just clean my studio like my physical space or just something you know not deterrent from the project of getting music finished yeah i I think some a lot of times it's like the best ideas come out of just being like i'm not gonna write a song i'm just gonna sit down and like you know make a synth sound and the next thing you know you have the synth sound you made and you're like you hear an idea that you, you know, that comes out of, comes out of making that sound. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, let me just hear what it sounds like with drums. And the next thing you know, it's like six hours later and you have a song finished. Mm. Like, as opposed to being like, I'm going to sit down and write a song and then being disappointed with everything you do in that time. And then just feeling like a complete like piece of shit that wasted like hours getting nothing productive done. Mm. Yeah. That's the other thing too. You got to be patient with yourself. Cause I find a lot of people, they start making a song they probably don't get anything done that they like in the first hour and then they go, well, I'm not being productive and therefore like, fuck me, right? But it's like, no, because the way learning works, it mostly happens in your sleep. And I've been uh, going through this a lot the last few days because I've been trying to learn FL Studio. And um, so I've been using FL and I'll, I'll use it for a few hours and I'll be like, fuck, I just don't feel like I got a lot done. And then I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up the next day, open it again, and I just feel like 10 times better in the program because a lot of the learning seeped in whilst I was sleeping, right? And then it's just like every day I'm making these big leaps and shit. But I I find a mistake probably a lot of people make is they have that experience where they, you know, write music until 2 a.m. At the end of the night, they're just like, oh, fuck, that was a slog and I didn't get a lot done. Then they go to sleep and then they wake up and just don't open the program again. But I I feel like, yeah, some sort of persistence there is probably necessary too, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I used to, like, really be, like, gotta make more, gotta, like, keep working and working and working, and, like, to a certain extent, like, I got so much music done, but, like, I think 
the older I've gotten, the more I've been kind of like tried to be smart about like not not like burning myself out on tracks that I am not sure about. You know, like if I if I'm not feeling something after like a day of working on it, I'll usually just scrap it. And like now it's like I when I find something that I really like still love hearing after like three days of working on it, then I'll like really, you know, zone in on that. Like I used to never work for like I never used to like put like weeks and months into a song i'd work on a song in like four days and just call it a rap but like now like the older i've gotten the more i've been like i guess i've also just tried to be more conscious of like being selective and not just putting out everything that i think is like good enough and like only putting out the best things which i guess is like led to less music being released but at the same time it's like i put out so much music that i'm pretty sure like most of my fans haven't heard every song you know like you don't need to consistently pump them out you just need to have the tracks that you do put out be worth listening to over and over. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like having tracks that have a lot of re-listen value. It's probably more important than putting a high volume of tracks out that don't. Yeah. And like you want, I, I think like the thing that people connect with, like people want something that they can like hold on to and connect with. And like if your music output is just like an endless river, like a fucking raging rapid, you know, people just get drowned in it and they don't, you know, they're not like... It's just like a moving thing where it's like there's nothing to grasp onto and like connect a memory to. Like my favorite songs are songs, you know, connect me to a memory from like, you know, I'll like hear a song that I haven't heard in a long time. I'll be like, oh, it'll like connect me to like, you know, what I was going through in my life at that time or like when I was into that song, you know. And like that's something that I think can be lost if you put too much shit out. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that for sure. And I think I've done, I've been a little bit guilty of that for sure. Um, not just with music, but with just my output on the internet in general, because I'll put out music, tutorials, sample packs, uh, other people's music at this point, other people's sample packs also at this point. Um, almost like every thought I have on Twitter for a while and like <laughs> just stuff like that. So yeah, I definitely think curating harder is um, can be good. But then also a, another thought I've had about this too is like yes heavy curation is good and makes sense and yes you yourself should have the diligence to do the curation so that the people on the other end don't have to um, and you know dig through your shit to find the good stuff but in some ways if that also feels dishonest to you then I mean you should just do what feels good in in that regard too right yeah of course there's like there's no rule I mean obviously yeah whenever I it's like this is all, yeah, my opinion or just, like, my thoughts on my own shit. Because I think I definitely, like, when I first started out, I put out so much shit that I felt like it almost, like, watered down the whole catalog where it was, like, I probably could have put half those songs out and, you know, had it be just as successful in the sense of, like, it connecting with people. But I don't know. At the same time, it's like you put the effort in to make something you want people to hear it. Right. Um. Cool, man. Uh, maybe let's move off philosophical music stuff and talk about coronavirus oh god yeah thanks <laughs> thanks for the reminder uh it was a good conversation i really love talking about philosophical music stuff with you but i feel like at some point it just becomes pretty circular right <laughs> yeah there's everything is yeah it's basically you have like four ideas that just keep repeating themselves because it's yeah. all it's basically and you yeah just, you just kind of, kind of try and keep coming up with like different analogies to better understand them over <laughs> and over again yeah <laughs> yeah it's the it's the metaphor podcast right right um cool yeah i mean i wanted uh to talk about just how how you're going and stuff i mean because i know you as an artist are more or less based around like your your income is mostly based around djing right yeah i 
Pretty much completely. Um, I mean, luckily, like I, I just came off the tour with Buku, so I had some money saved. So I'm not like financially in like the worst place, but I'm also I don't know. It's weird. I usually like when it started, I was like, oh, you know, I'm a fucking hermit. I never leave my house, so I'm like built for this shit. Hell yeah, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm ready to just pump out, you know, as much as shit as I can. And then, you know, I had two weeks of very, like, being very productive and, like, finishing this album that I think is, like, the longest I've worked on anything. I did, like, a bunch of shit for it. And then, like, once I kind of, like, got to a point where that was wrapping up, I was just like, well, fuck, you know? I just, like, hit this point of, like, hopelessness where I was like, well, now that's over. Now what? You know, I'll play video games for two days and be like, all right, I'm bored of video games. I don't know what the fuck to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's kind of like before COVID, um... We were sort of like, I, I was kind of the same. It's like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just in my house all the time doing whatever. But you kind of realize that you actually go out more than you think. And you kind of go like, you know, obviously you play shows on the weekend and you might like a few times during the week um, go to like restaurants with friends or whatever. Like you know, go, go out for a taco or go out for a slice of pizza or something or go out to a bar and have a beer. And it's like as much as you think you're a hermit, it's kind of like these exterior things that happen throughout the week that just seems small kind of all add up I guess to having some yeah. form of like social resemblant life I think I think I heard the comedian Neil Brennan say it the best where he was I think he said like something like he was like it's the equivalent of basically like people who are like homebodies it's the equivalent of getting caught by your parents smoking a cigarette and they make you smoke the whole pack where they're like oh you like being at home <laughs> like, right right <laughs> yeah it's like yeah smoke a whole fucking pack of that yeah that's a good way to put it I suppose um and you are you still in New York then yeah, in Brooklyn. Um, it's pretty bad here. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. I got masks and gloves, and i like been going on walks. I started exercising for like the first time ever. Because I was just like, I was, uh, I've never had like an anxiety attack in my life before. But all of a sudden, I started getting them like out of nowhere once like I finished this album, and I was just at home and had like nothing to do. And like, you know, when you kind of just reach the end of a big project you spend so much time on, sometimes you're like, a little burnt out and like the motivation to work isn't there because you've already you like just wrapped up like working so hard for so long you're like oh this is my time to relax what, right, do, right. what do i do to relax <laughs> I, there's like nothing to fucking do right right but like i don't know i been i started exercising and i started just basically like forcing myself to like just work on other just whatever you know just try and start new projects anyway even though you know i normally like to give myself a little bit of time to like relax after I've finished a big project and like, you know, sometimes taking a break can make me like when I go back to working again, I'm like, I feel a lot better about it. It's a lot more interesting and fun. It's like taking a break from weed when you come back from like not smoking for like a year for like a for like even a week, all of a sudden like one hit and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm really high now. It's like the same thing with working on music or art. It's like sometimes it's like I'm not getting that enjoyment from it and I'll take like two days to just chill, and then when I go back to working, it's everything's fun again, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I should probably do that more. I'm pretty bad at, like, doing a little bit of work every day, even if I say I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, I'll still, like, I'll tell myself I'm going to take the day off and, like, chill and play video games, and then, like, two hours into playing video games, I get bored, and then <laughs> I end up doing something. But, like, that's also, like, you know, that's that's a good thing, so I'm not, like, shame on you. I'm, I'm more just like, all right, you know, that this came naturally. But yeah, the Corona thing like really put me through a phase where there were, there was like a week or two where I was just like 
not even like I couldn't even bring myself to like work on anything because I was just like it felt like the whole fucking world was ending, you know? Like I I'm not even like it's not even like the personal stuff in my life that's got me like freaking out. It's more just like what the hell is gonna happen? Like after all this shit, like what's gonna happen to our economy? How many people are gonna end up dying? How long is this gonna go on for? Like, yeah, it's, who the fuck? it's sort of getting to that point. Hey, like I, I definitely, I mean, obviously the the economy is fucked, and like a lot of people are fucked, like out of jobs and dying and all of that stuff. Um, but also, I, I think like the sort of um, more uh, le- less visible and tangible thing is gonna be this like trauma that everyone has experienced, and I think it's gonna be really difficult for everyone to sort of get in a room together again at some point because everyone's just going to be paranoid as fuck. I mean, at least until there's an antivirus and Trump is saying there's an antivirus in, uh, he reckons by January, 2021, but I mean, obviously FDA approval and all that shit takes way longer than that. So he's wrong. And I think it's going to be like, I don't know, summer of 2021 at least. So I feel like this shit is going to go on for like another year or at least man. Cause I, like, oh, easily. I mean, the- until there's a fucking antivirus, like you can't have a show at Red Rocks and you can't have a like four or five hundred person club show. And, like, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I think there is like this like. There is this like um, idea out there that it's like, yo, if you're like, you know, if you're only playing music to play at shows, then like you're not in it for the right reasons and all this shit. And it's like it's not just like sometimes you're not like oh, I can't do this because, like, I, I'm not motivated because I'm not going to, like, play this to a show and make money. It's There's also a certain sense of, like, oh, like, I'm going to make this song and, like, I can, like, pl- you know, play it on my computer screen on a stream to a bunch of people and, like, share it that way and, you know, like, share it on SoundCloud. But, like, I think, like, sharing your music live with people and, like, seeing their reaction to it in person and, like, and seeing the look on people's faces and stuff and, like, having that connection... It, it is, like, a something that I've always valued a lot and, like, appreciated, like, that that type of feedback. And it, it is kind of, like, you know, disheartening to lose that. It is – it's kind of sad, you know? It's, yeah. It makes it uh, – it doesn't make me stop working on music, but it definitely changes the type of music I'm working on, you know? Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm mostly just working on IDM at the moment, um, which is fun, and I've been enjoying it a lot. But uh, I think what's going to happen is – I mean, a lot of artists, and I'm – sorry that you're in this position, but a lot of artists who are like primarily making their income from shows. And then this also extends obviously to booking agents and venue managers and, uh, you know, fucking talent buyers in venues, like all these people who are basically like their, their income is reliant on shows happening. Right. It's like, what's going to happen to those people? Like some of them will survive through this and some of them will come out the other end doing the same thing. But I mean, there's going to be like fucking a lot less booking agents after the fact right and then it's like yeah good good luck finding someone to represent you after all of this well it's yeah i mean there is a constant reminder of like when a lot of times i've talked to people and been like yeah this shit fucking sucks like everything sucks like life's shitty right now and they're like well at least you know you have like a creative outlet like can you imagine if you were just like you know an agent and there's no shows there's literally nothing to fucking do you don't have like a creative outlet to work on well, that's, at home well that's the thing right they'll find something else to do like the agents are not dumb people like they're pretty smart most of the time and they're pretty resourceful too so it's like they, they'll figure some shit out to do but but my worry is that like they'll figure something out realize that it's way cooler than being an agent because being an agent seems fucking stressful and then they'll just be like ah oh, fuck being an agent and then at the end like I'm just I just have this vision of like a post 
pandemic music scene where there's like three agents and only like the biggest of the big <laughs> artists like get to have an agent or whatever. Oh, I th- I mean, I think for sure there's definitely going to be people who are like, fuck it, I'm getting a tech job, you know, I, that happens all the time. But I, I don't think anyone's ever going to stop wanting to work in the music industry when it comes back because, you know, it's fun. Like, it's fun to be a part of something that people enjoy. And it's not like, you know, I think, you know, no one's ever going to be deterred from working in the business of fun. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I guess like I, I just kind of get worried about like all the DJs too who are making money off DJing and kind of like the backbone of the scene, right? Because they there's people like um, who don't play so many live shows, right? And you know just want to go out and play a show every every I don't know do like one or two tours a year and that's it, right? Um, yeah. But like whilst those people are not doing shows, it's like all these other DJs who are constantly doing the circuit. They're kind of the ones holding the scene together because like without them doing that. Like people just don't get into the habit of going to shows all the time, and and there's like not this whole big sort of scene being perpetuated by these by these DJs playing shows all the time and and all of that stuff. So I'm just worried that a lot of those kind of people will also kind of lose their jobs, find other shit to do. And then when this all comes back, like maybe have a hard time getting back to that point or whatever. It just seems it seems very hard for me to see if this like if if this ended today, I could see shit like snapping back pretty quick. Just knowing that there's not going to be an antivirus for a long ass time and the implications that that has, I just really don't feel like it's going to snap back so quick after like you know 18 months of financial and emotional trauma to in, to everyone really. I mean, yeah, there's definitely an uncertainty about like the future. Like, there's definitely going to be a shift in the culture. Like, undoubted, there's there's no way there won't be a shift in the culture. You know, nothing this big has happened in society in years like i mean really ever because this is the biggest society has ever been as well right right so like this is the most just universally life-changing event to happen in so long that like there's not it's not even like just a shift to the music culture there's going to be a shift in just general global culture just like everyone the way people live is going to change yeah for sure especially the kid the younger kids who are you know, growing up in this, like in their formative years are going to be spent inside in their house. So it's just so weird. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Imagine being like a, a kid at school right now, doing all of your, like everyone is a homeschooled kid now. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think kids are like part of going to school is not so much the stuff you're learning. It's about, you know, learning how to exist in a social environment, like how to exist around other people all day, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, there's going to be a whole generation of kids that don't have any social skills. Yeah, well, I mean, I I already kind of thought that was going to happen anyway, just because of, like, how the internet was going and, like, gamers and shit like that. But, yeah, you're right. It's going to, like, affect that even harder, too. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, I mean, the way you interact with someone through a gaming headset or even like a Skype or Zoom call is different than in real life, you know? Oh, it's way there's, less personal. And... Yeah, there's no eye contact. There's no... It's like, going to be a whole society of kids talking to each other, looking at the floor. Yeah, dude, there's like, there's no like facial recognition, like recognition of like facial cues or anything like that. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird way to learn to interact. Yeah, that's kind of true. I, um... Yeah, I'm curious, like, what's going to happen to because there's a lot of people out there, right, who are single, and who are living by themselves, um, 
And I'm just curious, like, I feel really bad for those people, but I'm also curious as to whether or not they're going to sort of just stop being like, fuck it, and just, like, meeting up on dating sites and shit like that and spreading the virus again that way. Because there's there's been talks of, like, second waves and shit like that. And, I mean, I I can already see shit, like, easing up in San Francisco. Like, non-essential businesses are starting to open under certain circumstances, stuff like that. Um so I can see a second, like the possibility for a second wave is definitely there. I guess. Well, I think there is there is an element where it's like, I mean, like when when the when this shit first started, I was like, if I leave my house, I'm going to die. Like I was like so certain. And then as time goes on, you kind of get to, you you reach the point where you're like, I mean, shit, I would rather risk dying than fucking losing my mind like this in the house. And I think that happens. That's starting to happen to everyone. And the reality is that like. Obviously, the right thing to do is to stay inside, but people aren't going to do the right thing forever. Mm, Yeah, for sure. Well, it's kind of impossible, right? Like humans come from this whole tribal lineage and stuff like that. It's kind of tough to just like rip that out from under humanity and be like, cool, now do life. You know, like everyone's mind (laughs) is going to run a little bit crazy. Nobody is as yeah. introverted as they say. It's like like you're saying with the Neil Brennan thing. It's like nobody is that introverted. It was kind of right. funny though the first few weeks of this shit, seeing the Instagram stories of the extroverts where their story was just like, you know how you see the lines at the top of the story and they just get thinner and thinner and thinner. Like the more stories yeah. you put, I kind of tell who was like extroverted based on like how thin that line was. <laughs> yeah, how like, many stories? Yeah, you'll go to someone's story and it would just be them like in bed going, fuck this. And then like, oh, I'm having wine for breakfast, lol. And like, just all this. Dude, I, I've never understood. Like, it's almost like a skill you need to have to be like a successful producer is to be like that active and just have every fucking thing be like, we're like share worthy. And I'm like, I've never been good at that. I'm always just like, no one gives a fuck about like the fact that I'm making coffee and like working like it's like it's, it almost feels worse to put yourself out there that much and know that no one gives a fuck. Like I'd rather just not <laughs> I'd rather just not share it and not be like looking to see if anyone watched my story of me like fucking doing the, you know, mundane shit I do every day. I mean, you think that, but, you know, like if, if you did a, like because, maybe this is because you don't do it, but if you did just like document your entire day. I'd just be like, cool, this is a life in the day of Sam. Like, I'd be pretty interested in watching that, to be honest. Right. I mean, that's the contradiction. Though. Like, I'll watch other people's stories of them doing mundane shit. And just for, I'm like, you know, next thing you know, I've been looking at my phone for an hour. And I'm like, what the fuck have I been doing? I've been watching other people live their lives doing fucking <laughs> boring shit all day. Well, like, I've spent an hour of my day just watching someone else's day. That like, I mean, yeah, it kind of comes back to where we started, right? It's like just watching other people live is kind of something to be in awe of if you're not doing it yourself. Or- <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you're like, oh, man, they're making coffee. That seems fun. And you just <laughs> stay on the couch. <laughs> don't don't even make yourself coffee. <laughs> you're like, oh, that seems really nice. And then you just look over at your coffee machine and then, like, convince yourself <laughs> that you don't want it because it's too far away yeah. or something. <laughs> Like yeah, a, like, well, I'm, I, I, I could make coffee, but I'm watching Instagram stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, a good Mitch Hedberg joke about that where he's like, um, sometimes I'll think of a joke, uh, but if I can't find a pen... No, he's like, I'll, I'll think of a joke and write it down, and if I can't find a pen, I'll just convince myself that that joke's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about like living in a city because like, I, I moved to San Francisco recently, and I know you live in New York, and obviously we've 
we both like made the conscious decision to essentially earn less money to live in a city, right? Like my rent in San Francisco is about two grand a month versus living in Colorado where my rent was like 1300 bucks a month and I had way more space. Um, but it's kind of like you make that conscious decision to have all of the benefits of the city and stuff like that, right? Is that kind of the way you look at being in New York or is there other reasons why you're there or like why I'm, did you, you kind of grew up there a little bit too, didn't you? Um, well, I, I went to college here. Uh, I went to college in New York and basically me and my girlfriend, we've been dating for a really long time and we dated in college. And then when I, when we both graduated, she got like a really good job, like She's she's got like a good job in the design world and she has like, you know, a salary and everything. So there was a point when I started traveling for music and I was just like, honestly, this is, you know, I want to move to like a house in the suburbs and like get a car and just drive to the airport when I need to and not have to deal with this shit. Like there was a point where I was kind of like wanting to leave the city because I don't I don't really use the city to its full potential. Like I don't go to a ton of shows and I don't go out to a ton of restaurants often especially now but it got to a point where it was it did you know you make your friends and it's hard to leave you don't want to like restart and also you know a long a long time what was keeping me here was my girlfriend's job and the fact that like you know she had a real job if i wanted to move we basically had to break up and i was like i don't want to do that so i guess i'll just pay you know pay what it what it takes to stay in the city with her but i don't know i've kind of i've it kind of breaks my heart to think that New York's not going to go back to what it was before. Because now that I've been stuck in my house, I'm like, I can't wait to go out and like go to a ton of shows and like go to a bunch of restaurants and just do all the stuff I used to love doing. I guess, I guess, I guess, I realized because of the quarantine that I was actually, you know, using the city's potential. I guess I just wasn't as much as I thought I should be. But it, it it's scary to think that you know. New York might not go back to being this cultural hub and having all these great restaurants and stuff. Like, who knows what's going to happen? It might just be a, it might turn into Manhattan and just be like a big, like, fucking strip mall, like a giant <laughs> mall. Dude, I watched a video on Manhattan on YouTube this morning. So I, for some fucking reason, woke up at like 9.30 a.m. and was super awake and then just started watching videos on YouTube and then smoked weed because I smoke weed now in quarantine, apparently, and fell asleep again. And uh, the video was about this fucking metal string that surrounds the city of Manhattan called a, a Urov or a Uov or something like that. It's like um, apparently Jewish people are not allowed to technically work on Saturdays, right? Uh, and you're, you're, you're Jewish, right? Uh, half, yeah, on my dad's side. So I guess technically I'm not, but, you know, my family is. Right, right. I my family's not really religious. We never, like... We we used to celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas, and then the whole Hanukkah thing got. We kind of just were doing it for my grandparents, and then it became just you know, we wouldn't get any good presents. We just get socks on Hanukkah, and then Christmas would come, and then and I think my parents were just got to the point where they're like, ah, we'll just do Christmas and say fuck it. Right. Um. Do you know about this big metal string that goes around Manhattan? No. Okay, so it's it's basically there for Jewish reasons, and. Uh, I can't exactly remember, but it had something to do with Jewish people not, not being able to work on Saturdays um, and putting this big string around technically made it so that they were inside because you're allowed to <laughs> you're allowed to do certain things inside. Right. Like. Um, right. Well, but, you're not. There's. I used to live in like a, in a, like a very Hasidic area, like 
the Hasids live in basically they they own a ton of property. They own most of the property in in all of New York, but they have their areas where they kind of like live their own kind of like separate existence. And it's like it's slightly integrated. You know, there's there's different people that you you like you'll like walk through, but you'll like walk through their area. Like we would have like on our block, you know, a bunch of different kinds of people living on our street, and then one street over was only Hasids. And like when you walk down the street, it was just like little Hasidic kids running around, like in the street. They just like own the whole. They they own the joint. It's like their own businesses. It's completely. It's like it's com- it's like a completely different country almost in like a small block radius. And like when you walk, a lot of times I would walk through their areas and on, on the days where they can't like turn on electronics or do some stuff, they'll stand outside their apartment and be like, they'll try and get you to come into their apartment and like turn on light switches and shit for them. Yeah, they'll be like, hey, save so, you 20 bucks if you come in and like turn on my light switch. And a lot of times I'm just like, nah, man, I'm not going to a stranger's house. Like <laughs> yeah, you're but- on your own. <laughs> There's um yeah th- there was that in the video too. There's somebody called I can't remember what the the term is for the for the person either. But yeah, it's kind of like um uh, I I want to say blood boy, but I know it's not that because that's like the thing in Silicon Valley where the little kid gives the old man blood so he s- seems more reinvigorated or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like saw, saw. yeah, it's like that. But they do jobs for the the Jewish people so they don't have to work in place of that them on Saturdays or whatever. Super yeah, I don't know I. I can't judge. I haven't looked into Judaism enough to know what's up. With yeah, that. and also part of me is like, what you want? You want me to do it for you? So what? So I go to hell? Like what? You want- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's a yeah. That's a good point. That's yeah. It's pretty fucking selfish of them, isn't it? To be like, you go to hell, please, for twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you're gonna. You, well, it's more just like they're like they're like you're gonna, you're gonna go anyway, so you might as well help me out here. <laughs> that's a good point hello chosen person over here help us out (laughs) yeah i mean if there's any religion though that seems somewhat reasonable it's pretty much judaism i feel like it seems a lot more reasonable than christianity yeah i mean i don't know it's it's funny how like when i went to australia you know obviously i as you're familiar with like a lot of the the public school system isn't as good there so like everyone goes to like all boys and all girls schools like most people go to like private schools there that are like all boy and all girl and like catholic it's crazy like mm. the school i went to i had to like they were they had like chapel every every week we, we like instead of homeroom we'd have to like go to like a church thing and like fucking they had like divinity class which is like about christianity i think that like just learned having to learn so much shit about catholicism made me be like all right this is clearly like ridiculous it's like a fucking it's so silly that all these adults believe this shit <laughs> yeah yeah jim jeffries has a good joke about it he's like you have a god that says that he loves you unconditionally but if you don't love him you go to hell he's like that's a condition you have to love him or you go to hell <laughs> yeah i mean like so much of the stuff is just like how do you like do the mental gymnastics <laughs> like how do you fucking do you gotta do you gotta like fucking do back backflips with your brain just to like make sense of like make right. sense of the world you live in now compared to that and be like yeah no that's true though yeah it's a lot of energy invested it's kind of like conspiracy theorists right it's like it's a, a lot to I mean maybe conspiracy theorists are doing the opposite thing though they're kind of like trying to do less mental gymnastics so they just make shit up that makes that seems to make sense or whatever I I do find it's funny though with a lot of religion how they 
basically just try to circumvent the rules in these weird ways, like by building this giant fucking metal string that like encircles the entirety of Manhattan or uh, in Mormonism, right? You're not allowed to have sex until marriage. So they'll do shit like uh, just drive uh, from Utah to Las Vegas, get married for a weekend, have a bunch of sex and then get divorced. Or they'll, they'll do this other thing called soaking or floating, which is where the dude like puts his dick inside the female but they just don't do any thrusting yeah i've heard of that it's like also like the the classic catholic uh girl school uh thing of like you can have you can have like anal but you can't fuck because that's like that's against the rules but you can like yeah it's like you can like when you when you start like negotiating these kinds of like workarounds it's like just fucking do the wrong just do that thing that you're like if you're gonna work this hard to fucking go like get around and just fucking do the bad thing who fucking cares <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't understand it well man i think i'm gonna go make uh some more coffee and probably some food and then maybe write some music and stuff but it was fucking awesome talking to you man it's always a pleasure talking to you yeah man always a pleasure i uh yeah i appreciate you having me on that was fun yeah uh is is there any way you want to specifically send people to interact with you on the internet uh yeah i mean essex music uh, on Twitter and, and Instagram and everywhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess obviously there's no shows, so just I Twitch sometimes. I do. I also stream on Twitch sometimes. And uh, yeah, you know, come say hi. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, yeah, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Good talking to you, buddy. Yeah, you too. All right. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.